Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Onyx. So the Onyx Hunt app is your one-place stop to turn your phone into a mobile GPS unit. And within the Hunt app, there is a map layer section called Trails and Rec. And that's comprised of recreation sites, trails, trail mileage, trail slope, and motor vehicle roads and trails. So the recreation site contains over 300,000 points of interest, including fishing access sites, campgrounds, trailheads, forest service cabins, ski areas, breweries, and more. And in addition to that, the trails feature has over 400,000 miles of trails that are owned by the U.S. Forest Service, national parks, BLM, local and and uh, federal government agencies, as well as private landowners. And you can see the different mileage, the the slope to see the steepness of the trails, as well as also just motor vehicle roads and trails. And so Onyx hosts roads and trails data from the United States Forest Service to be able to show which types of vehicles are allowed on each trail and also really helps uh, to be able to see if you're able to take ATVs, UTVs, anything like that into certain areas. So this trails and rack feature is almost always turned on um, when I'm using them, whether it's hunting whitetails in Pennsylvania or I'm hunting elk in the Rocky Mountains. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off the app. The University of Elk Hunting online course, a membership to UEH, provide you with immediate access to the most comprehensive and complete resource for increasing your elk hunting knowledge, your confidence, and hopefully your success. So in addition to having full access to the entire course for one year, you'll have access to the UEH mobile app, which puts all that content from the online course right into the palm of your hand anytime, anywhere, with or without internet or cellular connection. Plus, UEH members receive an incredible discounts from Elk 101 partners, including 15% off elk hunting gear in the Elk 101 store. So if you head over to elk101.com and sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course, use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST. That'll save yourself 20% off of a one-year membership. And Tethered. So Tethered evolved from a burning desire to provide quality gear and resources to the saddle hunting community because it kind of lacked in the availability of saddle-specific gear and innovation. And so Tethered solved this problem by designing, engineering, and producing the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. So if you're interested in checking out those products and learning about saddle hunting in general, head over to tetherednation.com and check all of that out. And I hope everyone had a happy Memorial Day. And I hope that you've been able to enjoy the weekend and honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And always a you know, thank you to the men and women who are currently serving and who have served our country. We are able to live free and be able to do everything we do because of you. So tomorrow, well actually today, when this podcast goes out here, it'll be the final day of the East Meets West apparel sale so i'm doing a memorial day sale and i don't think i even announced it on last week's episode but if you use the coupon code memorial day 20 
all capitals on the website eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop all the apparel and gear that i have online is 20 percent off here and hopefully you're listening to this of today which uh is may 26th so if you're listening after that you missed the sale already but if not go check that out and i will get that stuff shipped out to you right away and also this week i want to go over the the mountain buck story of the week and as it was the mountain buck monday post for instagram and facebook so this one comes from aaron hepler this buck was from state gamblings in southeastern pennsylvania and speaks to your clear-cut strategies I shot him inside a seven-year-old clear cut the last week in October. It was a high odds morning when the temperature dropped 12 degrees overnight. There was water inside the cut and some random white oak seed trees that he was feeding on. I was relatively close to where there was a bedding area inside the cut. I heard a grunt and I grunted back. The buck came in rubbing all little saplings along the way. I watched him at 10 yards for 45 minutes before I had a clear shot. After 20 years of hunting, he was the first buck I've shot with my bow. There, there will be an article inside the PA Game News at some point on this guy. Public lands where it's at. And since then, I've had so many encounters with all the biggest bucks that I have seen. Uh, everyone that wants to go check out this photo of this buck that Aaron took, head over to the East Meets West Instagram and Facebook page because this thing is an absolute dandy and cool to see him talking about hunting the timber cuts. You know, I just did a, a video, a part of the Mountain Buck Scouting Series on YouTube on uh, scouting and hunting timber cuts, and this just goes right into, you know, some of the strategies there. So, if you have your, your own Mountain Buck Monday story of yourself, you know, s- send that over to me, you know, via email at bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com or through social media. Instagram's usually the quickest way for me to be able to respond there. And uh, we'll get get those in the upcoming weeks, the stories out. Love hearing these things. They've been really popular. I've gotten a lot of feedback from them. So keep them coming. And yeah, so... On this week's episode, I am joined by Aaron Hitchens, who comes out of the north of the border in Canada here. And Aaron and I talk about uh, who Aaron is, you know, his story with um, Rockhouse Motion and their whole goals um, in the company that they have there. Work mode versus hunt mode, turkey hunting versus elk hunting, and this, this should get a whole bunch of the Western guys all riled up. Uh, preparing for a Western hunt when you live in the East and then also sheep hunting a little bit of Aaron's kind of dabbling in sheep hunting being, you know, a, a resident up there. And I, I really like this episode. Aaron is a very, very passionate person and just listening to him and, and it comes out in his work is he's extremely talented, um, and really can inspire people. So I'd, you know, he came from Eastern Canada and moved out West and has been hunting the mountains and, and filming and telling stories behind the lens. And he's just a, a really good guy to learn from and listen to. So hope you enjoy this episode and everyone has a great week. All right, we're live. I'm looking at the beautiful face across the, the Skype call here of my Canadian brother, Aaron Hitchens. What's up, buddy? Oh, just looking at your muscles. You've grown quite a bit since I saw you last. <laughs> oh, some things never change. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a while. We uh, didn't get to see each other this past year at the ATA show. You didn't didn't go, so it's been a little bit. Yeah, no, I, 
I skipped the shows this year. Well, I went. I guess I went to Shot Show, but uh, yeah, it's a grind. It's a it's a little soul sucking. It's very fun, but uh, yeah, it's like a fringe. Is this actually a productive business activity, or am I just going and boozing with other people that like to booze and talk about the same things I do? And uh, <laughs> yeah. worthwhile personal investment, but we were hot and heavy with, with work at that point in time. So yeah. I'll be there next year, though. I can't take. I can't miss two years in a row, especially yeah. if I shoot something. If I shoot something noteworthy, I'll definitely be there. <laughs> then, then you got to go and, and talk to everyone about it and tell the same story over and over again, right? <laughs> yeah, just add details, and then you see who tell who passes the story on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'll get in there, see who's listening. <laughs> I uh, that's it's funny. I think it's been about four or five years now that I met you at the ATA show. Um, at a bar, uh, just uh, ironically. I mean, we don't go to bars very often, but there we are. And uh, <laughs> I met you and and Dustin Lutt, uh, both you guys there. And it was right after I had um, watched you in the the film Beyond the Roar, and I went up and introduced myself, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's cool. He was in this this film." And reality, what I, I realized is that. You know, you weren't as cool as the film made it seem, but you know, decent guy all around, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Since you talk to, there's a lot of people that think we faked a lot of the stuff in that film. Supposedly, I've learned over the years that people think we like intentionally fake the canoe or flip the canoe, and I can assure you that we did not. And if we did, if we'd recommended that to the guys we were with, they'd have been like, "Go flip it yourself, you hoser." <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think it would have been super well received, even if that was the plan. But yeah, no, that was uh, that's probably still my favorite project we've worked on today, just because it's so personally important to me. And uh, I guess I had great hair and uh, made me apparently look cool enough for a young, fresh-faced Pennsylvanian, I believe, to come uh, introduce himself. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> you had some long, flowing locks at the time, which now are kind of chopped off a little bit. Yeah, we'll see how long the old lockdown carries on. I might be back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what about that mustache? Yeah. I actually just trimmed it up like last week. It was, it was, it doesn't really get like super long because I bite it off. I can't, I, I tried getting it like completely covering the bottom lip and I had it there and I just like subconsciously, I don't know if it's in my sleep, but it just wouldn't grow at some point. It just hit a, hit a, a, a point where it was done, you know? So I don't know. The the mustache started as just the the thing during hunting season is the the rut stash as I called it and then it turned into a year long thing because I mean if you think about it, there's elk, deer, all those things, they rut a certain time of the year. And me, I'm three sixty seven or three sixty five, twenty four seven, I'm always rutting, so I just kept it the whole time. Well, I just always rutting. That should be <laughs> that's a pretty good uh t-shirt idea (laughs) rotten if you know you know (laughs) well well, i was uh i was at the total archery challenge last year and i had a booth set up and i was selling some of my apparel and the guy comes up and he's like hey why is this shirt my rut stash shirt he goes why is that you know 15 dollars and the other ones were 25 i said well it's on sale because you know the the white tail rut and the elk rut none of that's in right now it's summertime i said but me I said, I'm still rotten. I'm always rotten. Guy goes, I'll take two. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> throw the throw the duster on there and put always rotten, and I think you'll probably you'll probably move a few of those. Yeah. At least a couple of Canada if you ship up here. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, 
It looks good. The the unironic mustache has really rallied lately. I've been I've been fairly surprised, and I had a pretty good go at it. But uh, Logan doesn't offer her opinion on too many things uh, firmly. But I guess showing you a picture would be pointless, considering this is an audio project. But yeah, the uh, <laughs> fairly distinguished. But she send me a text with it in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pause, pause for so I'm, I'm a little concerned because my my uh pint is about half full so yeah i um it's funny so i have one beer here with me and i'm about quarter full i b- grabbed two when i came into the office here and and my girlfriend's like why are you taking two one's gonna get warm so i have this thing where i just i just text her and she brings one into the the office for me so i'm kind of spoiled from that side i'm gonna test that <laughs> yeah hold on guys we're uh we're taking a, a short uh break here to text the women to drop off some beer <laughs> but i i want to see this picture you rock in the stash because you know it's it's one of those things that the mustache is either loved by women to a point where they can't control themselves or it's absolutely hated and i'm going to say about 85 percent of women don't like it and but the, the fifteen the, that do are just absolutely nuts, you know. For yeah, but you can find you can find a, it's a good way to filter out the quality babes. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, I got to find, where are the beers? They're in the fridge, honey. <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, so Aaron, we, uh, you know, we, we've got a little bit of an introduction here and, and you can see how, how we interact with each other and our personalities, uh, kind of feed off each other. And that's the way it's, it seemed to Ben when we talked to each other, but let's give a little bit of a background on, uh, who Aaron Hitchens is and why, why am I talking to you here? Well, I'm not entirely sure why you're talking to me, but I grew up out East and I now live and hunt out West. So I think I fit the general criteria. Uh, I am, as previously mentioned, a proud and effective Canadian. I uh, I wear the wear the badge of my northern upbringing proudly, and I and I while the deer hunting growing up was less ideal than my eastern pals, the big game hunting right now is is pretty premium up north of the border. So I'm enjoying it. So yeah, I, I grew up out east, and then uh, moved to Kansas for a few years after I finished college. And then fell in love and used it as an excuse to move home uh, to where I now call home, which is in Alberta. And then as a side note, I moved to BC for the year for a, another hunting adventure. But, uh, yeah, Alberta is where we, where we would call home at this point in time. Okay. So when you were living in Kansas for a little while, or how long were you down there for? Four, four or five years. Okay. I gotcha. And then, um, so is Logan from Canada? Yeah, yeah, we met at college. Oh, okay, nice. That makes sense then. How you got to head back up north of the border, eh? Yeah, no, it was good. She was actually living up in Edmonton, and I was like, I ain't moving to Edmonton, so we ended up uh, in Canmore. Okay, which is yeah. So yeah, pretty you- place. It's it's right. We're right on the border of Banff National Park, which is uh, known to the world. Oh, there it is. I beat you. Oh, oh there's also a, now a dog. <laughs> entering the picture <laughs> yeah i'm uh i'm yeah missing i guess logan beat colby here to to bring in the beer and i'm gonna have to make sure i let her know about that oh hello <laughs> hi logan 
sweet sound of victory. That's good. You're drinking the Miller High Life. Yeah, it's what's in the fridge. That's <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite beer. Whatever's in the fridge. Whatever's wet, cold. Wet and, co- wet and cold. Wet and cold. Yeah. yeah, I lived in Kansas for a while. Uh, got a firsthand look at the people who I consider to be probably the foremost of the world's whitetail hunters. Uh, Matt and his brothers and, and Dustin and the community down there is massively impressive when it comes to deer hunting. And uh, just it's been really interesting watching just kind of the attitude shift and everything down there as everybody kind of matures into just consistently getting it done. And, uh, you know, wives starting to hunt and the kids starting to hunt and, and just the sort of kind of how Belichick has a coaching tree. It's fun watching people in different areas and the influence that they have on getting others involved. And it's uh, they've done an awesome job of it and they've gotten a ton of people involved and a ton of people on deer. And they've also now killed 200 inch bucks three years in a row. So. Yeah, those guys are the most impressive, like you say, whitetail hunters that I've seen on on the Instagram. When I when I open it up in, in November, you can almost expect at some point for one of those guys to have something that just doesn't look real that popped up. <laughs> and obviously, with all you guys, um, you know, being photographers, videographers, filmmakers, whatever it is, it's always just the most epic photos and stuff that go along with it, and it's it's pretty cool to see it's funny because when i go hunting i got to bring all the wide angle lenses to make things look big <laughs> and you go and you, you walk up to these things with like the normal approach and uh oh bo's beer has arrived yep mediocre work but uh, <laughs> better than um, yeah so but like you walk up and you get it all set up like you normally take a deer photo and you're like, well, nobody's ever like, this just looks too ridiculous. It looks like a, like a farmed elk and uh, yeah, they're just giant. So it's fun when you get the big ones down cause you can bust out the longer lenses and uh, tee it up. So yeah, we've, we've got some pretty fun photos of those deer over the years and, and we actually shot photos of the one, the first one that uh, Scott killed alive, which was absolutely exhilarating. We saw it on the hoof. I think it was like one of the only like, three or four times that it had been seen alive and it lived pretty close to a town. Um, it was a KG fella, but, uh, he was, he was rotten. And so, uh, yeah, we got to take some photos of him with like a 400 millimeter lens. And it was just like, you see pictures of these things and you see them dead. And, you know, as somebody who hasn't shot a deer of that magnitude or really any animal that would be comparable, like it's just unbelievable you're looking at this thing and it turns its head and it's like the whole freaking orbit gets knocked off kilter they're just ridiculous so they do a good job of it and and uh the most impressive part is not just the you know killing big deer but they do it without being completely crazy people right they're effective members of the community maintain really good relationships with farmers and other people that hunt around and then you know oftentimes will put their wives or their family or whoever first when it comes to getting deer killed or their guests for that matter. And I've been the benefactor of that. And yeah, it just works out. Good things happen to good people every once in a while. And they've been on a good run of that. Yeah. They, um, so, and all, do all those guys work with you rock house motion or how, how is the, what's the relationship there? Well, Matt works with us. Matt's a partner at rock house. Uh, Scott is like a premium cabinet builder and Nick is a foreman on the pipeline. Okay. So he works with us at rock house too. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so, yeah, explain a little bit about your kind of, so when you went right out of college, is that where you started with rock house down there? Or explain what rock house so motion I, is and everything. I, I for waterfowl down there 
and uh, we had like a Sitka endorsement, and they were shooting for Sitka, and so we met, and then connected heavily over the photographic side of things, and they said to swing by, and so I swung by, and here we are, like I guess nine years later. That simple. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit more com- complex than that. I had to make some pretty significant life changes to to hop on down there but yeah i mean it was very clear to me that what they were doing was special um it was very clear to me that there was an opportunity for me to improve what was happening and in a few different ways and bring my sort of skill sets to the table and uh when i saw that opportunity i you know really went for it and i think we've we've all been pretty happy that it worked out the way that it did myself certainly at the at the forefront of that so yeah it's been it's been great if you could describe, you know, what you guys do at Rock House is your work, try to explain that because, you know, by saying, you know, uh, you know, a media company, creative company, I don't know what the term is for that is, is not giving it a really, um, not giving it its credit. Let's put it that way. So I, I know you're, yeah, you're not, you're not a person that's like, you're not someone that's conceited by any means, but I, I want you to kind of explain the, the work that you guys do because the quality is, is like it's really breathtaking when you watch some of your work. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we uh, we have the good fortune of having access to a lot of the best gear in the game. But uh, yeah, essentially what we do is we make what we believe to be the highest quality uh, film and photography work and, and storytelling or product launching work uh that exists in the outdoor category i think that you know we do a lot of work that's not in the traditional hunt fish space uh, but we do a lot of work that is in it and that's kind of a blend of everything from like you know 15 second spots to 30 second tv commercials uh down to you know these kind of shorter three to five minute films and then every once in a while we'll do something like beyond the roar where you know it's a it's a sit down get a get a pint ready and then it's you know 18 minutes and a box of kleenex hopefully if you're if we can successfully move <laughs> people in and shed a tear or two so uh yeah it's you know it, we just strive to really get to the essence of an experience when it comes to a to an outdoor story i think that there's a lot of cliche some of it is real some of it is is kind of what people expect or feel like they need to do and and we just try and dive a little bit deeper and you know, use a combination of technical know-how, uh, sort of cinematic, cinematic art, and then just you know, good writing and and good uh, music, and and sort of stitch the whole thing together. Where we try and create a transformative experience for people. We just launched a film. I think it's probably a really good example of this. It's called Student of the Wild, and that sort of came about because I was up. I actually forget where exactly I was, but I mean, it was a bad day. I just remember it was gnarly. And I was kind of, you know, when you're just like redlined and hiking back in the dark. And I, uh, I remember just feeling like so beaten, but then had this like kind of got my second wind of self pity and it turned into, turned into a level of inspiration and just kind of gratitude. Right. Because like the highs and lows that we feel in the outdoors are very uncommon right Uh, whenever you know one of the things that i'll kind of lean on whenever things are really horrible is uh and you're just getting your ass kicked out there so it's like who else gets who else feels this way who do you know think of all the people you know 
all the people that were at your wedding or that work at your company or whatever, who else knows what it feels like to be this tired, you know, to care this much about something, to put this much pressure on yourself to succeed, to go further and deeper and, and find a way who else cares that much about something. And, and like, I tell people this all the time, especially as a Canadian reference, but like, you sit there as a kid and you watch people win the Stanley Cup, you know, and they're just beside themselves, tears streaming down their face, and you can just see them looking skyward like they just can't believe it. And that's like such an inaccessible feeling for people on our planet. That just doesn't happen. You know, you have to have this magical genetic makeup and you have to pursue a sport and have the, re- the resources to do it, or you just go elk hunting. <laughs> and if some, <laughs> you know, it comes to I really, I mean, uh, as somebody who hasn't ever won the Stanley Cup or uh, any like super meaningful sporting event, I, I, you know, can't make the direct comparison. But like to to invest in, create, and then harvest an opportunity, and to care that much is such an is such a privilege that we have. And so I wrote this kind of thank you letter uh, to the wild. Uh, called student of the wild and essentially laid out the the journey that i feel like i'm on and i feel like a lot of people are on and probably if you're listening to this you're probably on where it's just like this constant curiosity and i think that the greatest mark of an outdoors person is is one um it's obviously you need passion right but passion brings about two things it brings about curiosity where you understand at a certain point that like there will net every question that you answer there's three more questions come out of it and the more you learn the more you need to know and you just kind of dive in on this lifeline arc of lifetime arc of learning and like that is so cool there is no finish line there and i and i think that that's really unique and then the second thing is just the a grit and a toughness and an effort and a resolve that whether that manifests itself and getting out of bed early to go turkey hunt in the back 40 or you know day 15 of a sheep hunt when it's minus 30 degrees outside and you're getting your ass beat like Whatever that is, it's just the the thing that that you care about enough to get out and do it and ask the questions, pay attention and listen to the answers. And so, anyways, that's that's like a not even a summary of the film because I think I just ranted for longer than the film itself is. But what we, <laughs> put the put the thing that I wrote to some of the best that we've ever shot and uh, and have it appeal to people across you know hunting and fishing and general outdoors. Well, you stole stole my thunder, and what I was going to bring up was the student of the wild film and that like i I watch i've watched that multiple times now since since uh, it came out and uh just it it brings an emotion out of you i remember the first time i watched it you sent me it when it came when it launched like check this out let me know what you think and and i watched it at work um i was sitting there lunch break watching it and it just was like made me want to get out of that office real quick but it was i don't know it it brought that same emotions you're talking about like no one as i walk around say work or wherever i'm at even just um in general is people don't get to to feel those type of things they don't get to like even for me i notice like things that people think are hard or they bitch about or complain about it's not that hard like in in regular life when you go to things that happen in what you experience in hunting trips and the highs and the lows that you're talking about like I live for that. Like it's like a, a drug thinking about when uh, it sounds super cliche the way I said that, but when you go 
like my first elk hunt was in 2016 my first backpack elk hunt on day four like i wanted to quit like it sucked so bad like it was it was terrible and now you know on i just years later that that i'm you know going out for two and a half weeks at a time and really like learning to love that ride of the ups and downs and and like all of it because at the end it's so it's so worth it like the i'm not not going to go into extreme detail on it as everyone's heard me talk about but like my elk hunt this past year like when i finally did that after four years of trying and working my freaking ass off for it it was like i was filled with emotions that like you would i i thought i won the stanley cup like that's what it felt like to me and you know it was a um an average five by five bull that wasn't, you know, anything special to anybody else except for me, you know, and that's what thing. And like the, the cool thing about, you know, in one hand it is a community. Yes, I've done it. But like that experience is yours and yours alone. It's not, you know, there are the people that were there with you, but like it's, it's something that I think is really interesting. And that's kind of the one downside of the trophy side of things is that people feel i think to a certain extent almost ashamed when they get hyped about something that doesn't like measure out the same way and like that's ludicrous you know and but at the same time it's good to celebrate things and maybe that's a big gal because what it takes or a big animal is what it takes for you to get excited the thing is is it's how you feel and only you know that and and i think that what it does is it adds a lot of depth to your character too right like if i look at you're talking about the things that you think or other people think are or aren't hard um, you know, just mentally and emotionally, like Logan, it's been interesting for me because I've been doing this, you know, essentially my entire adult life, but watching Logan get into it, my fiance and uh, beer delivery woman, um, coming from somebody who had a, you know, she has an environmental science degree. She has a passion for the outdoors on what I would have considered like a, a little bit more of a, like she genuinely enjoyed it, but it's, you know, it wasn't as deep. And like watching her confidence and the way that she has sort of this sense of self that has come from hunting successfully and sort of defying the odds and grinding it out. And, you know, she shot her first elk after 18 days on the mountain. And we, you know, she actually ended up recovering it on, on her own because I was, uh, I had to leave to go to a wedding. She was supposed to go, and I was like, we can't go. And she's like, you go, I'm going to find it. And I was like, okay, well, that's a really bad plan. And so whatever, I'll, you you shot it, you make the call. She made the call, and she went back in and recovered it on her own. And, like, that day looking for that animal, that changed who she is, and, and it's just made her so much stronger. And I know that I've had those same experiences myself, but it's been almost more clear watching somebody else experience that for the first time. Yeah. No, that's it's it's been cool. I mean, watching you and and Logan over like said the last however many years that I've known you and seeing her like progression is becoming a hunter and and seeing those emotions and I mean you've even created a an Instagram page out of her feelings, but um, <laughs> feelings of it. He wants to have a good laugh. <laughs> but um, it's 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 cool to see that and you know and. And probably, you know, for your own self, uh, been doing it for so long, it's harder to kind of reflect or be able to see those things happening and those changes happening. Whereas as you're seeing it from the outside perspective on somebody else, it's easier to pick up on that, you know? Yeah. And I think in a way that's kind of what we try and do with our work, right? Like I think student of the wild and, and to some sense is a vehicle for people to reflect 
and and in some ways maybe understand or be able to to interpret things in a way that they hadn't necessarily before but it probably applies to them uh, but just the idea of of that endless curiosity and like the gratitude to to have the opportunity to go you know to extend the metaphor live in and in, in play in nature's classroom like i think it's a it's a pretty cool thing and and uh yeah, it's it it applies to much more of life than just getting the next tag filled. But it's you know it teaches you in, in such a absolutely finite way. You know, success is binary. Yeah, and you can go hunting and have a great time and not kill anything. But like, if you kill something, you succeeded, and if you didn't, you didn't succeed. Then and, and like, it doesn't matter if you do a hundred things right. And sometimes somebody goes out and they don't even do one thing right, and then except for the shot, and they get it done. Uh, you know, so it's not, it's not fair, but that's nothing is. And it's kind of a really good representation for that. You have to, you have to get used to live through the person that is clueless and goes out and shoots a monster on the first day. And you have to live through going out and putting, pouring your heart and soul into it year over year and not succeeding and wondering what that is, but you just trust the process and trust your instincts and, and just stay humble and learn. And that's kind of the thing that I think separates the, you know, the truly exceptional people from the um, you know that's 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 really the deciding factor what do you what do you pay attention to and and how critical are you of the information that you receive how do you gather it and then what are the what are the lessons that you walk away from every day in the field like what do you what did you learn and how can you how can you know better next time yeah do you think like um so when you moved say from east to to west and you know went into started hunting the mountains and stuff do you think that that was kind of like the process that you went through personally and just kind of like do you gain that at that time or do you think you kind of learned some of those lessons before that oh way before way before Mm -hmm. like you learn it the second you step outside on any day if you pay attention right like if you look at the weather report and you listen to the birds sing you know, you like, I remember reading this study from somewhere where they correlated turkey gobbling to the barometer, which is real. Like, I mean, and that applies in very simply, in my opinion, in both elk and turkey hunting or anything that you're hunting on a, on a rut type situation where, you know, if the barometer is rising and the weather's getting better, their game are more interested in breeding because they know that they have, you know, sunny skies awaiting and they might not need to feed as hard. That's so obvious, right? But I remember sitting there reading that and then thinking like, man, all the like little home videos I had of myself shooting turkeys, the birds are going apeshit. You know, all the songbirds and everything. It's like, and you can almost not hear the gobbles. I remember it always make me mad on the shitty old audio devices. But like, (laughs) when the woods are electric in the spring and the turkeys are also electric, that's because they're all still birds. They all have the same goals. And so, like, just that little thing of, like, you know, when it's sunny, when it's even not even sunny because the barometer is more nuanced than that. But, like, that that's something that I, you know, I remember learning when I was maybe 14. And when I, at some point, had some limitation on how much I hunted, I would, like, go wake up at 4 in the morning and check the barometer. And, like, that was night and day, you know, knowing what to expect. And, like, those lessons are there every time, whether you're – anytime you go outside at all and, and anytime you hunt for sure. Yeah, and, and I I agree with that, and I feel like a lot of the times you don't even realize it. Like cognitively, it's just 
it just happens until you kind of are able to reflect and step back for a minute and, and think about all those things. And, you know, I mean, I, I know growing up, I didn't think about half the things that I do now, when, what I was learning and what I was experiencing. And now, you know, I, th- I think of all those things and remember them. And it's, it's uh, you know, just some of the things growing up and stuff that I talk about now, um, just through the podcast and everything that I learned many years ago through just watching my dad and hanging out and doing those type of things that it's, it's a, it's a really cool process. And, and it's, I think we're all really lucky as, as outdoors people to be able to, to have those experiences and and learn as we, as we grow older, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a state of mind, right? Where, something happens and you just walk into the middle of a herd of elk and you're like, Oh boy, I was lucky. They're stupid. It's like, are they stupid or do they not mind when you're walking loudly? And maybe the times that you were sneaking, they care that you were sneaking. You know, it's just asking yourself those questions so that when events happen, you interpret the things that led to that. Uh, and I honestly, the people that do this the very best, in my opinion, are professional bass fishermen. I know that sounds like, um, that might be a little bit surprising, but like, you know, when we go out, some people have better spots than other people, have better tags, whatever. But those dudes go out on the same lakes that everybody fishes, and the same guys consistently perform well. They don't always win, but, like, basically, you are you go out with these dudes, and, like, you're just casting and whatever. You're kind of bored. I'm normally out with them because I'm taking pictures for somebody or filming. And, like, they get a bite. You're like, oh, good, we got to fish, take some pictures. Then they get another bite. And then it starts to increase and like, okay, that was, that last fish was on a point. So they go to the next point and then they get it on the windblown side of the point. So then they go and they hit all the windblown side of the point. It was in 15 feet of water. So they just, all of a sudden they pick up every piece of habitat that's the same in the whole lake and they go get the fish that's in all those. Cause for whatever reason, all those fish are on the same pattern. So because fishing is so much quicker feedback than hunting where, you know, you might, you're only able to strike once a year those guys are like masters at processing patterns and and picking it up and like think about that man like you and i could go fishing and you're in the back of the boat i'm in the front of the boat and you know it changes every day yeah but those dudes out and consistently perform at a high level on water that it's exact same it's an equal footing as everybody else and i think that's like it's really fascinating it's actually interesting like even as a hunter it's worth watching a couple of those MLF broadcasts or whatever when they're in the tournament because you can start to see these guys like just figuring it out and solving the problem in real time. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Find the and exploit the pattern, you know? I, I'd never thought of that before and never really, I guess, you know, I've never, I, I've fished and stuff and we were talking a little bit beforehand. I like to bass fish and stuff a little bit, but never thought of it from that perspective, nor did I have I watched much of it on television or anything to be able to kind of pick up on it but that's that's a neat way of kind of comparing that there yeah there are animals at it it's, it's unbelievable like they're like and it's they're like oh this guy's talented i'm like talented he's got a freaking stick and a little you know little piece of power bait or something <laughs> just stomps everybody like there's not it's not like this guy has a 40 inch vertical He's not running a four four forty. He can't bench two fifty. It's not talent. It's it's all in the brain, and that's what's kind of interesting about that. <laughs> and the same thing really applies to hunting. It's just like that's a place where it happens fast. It happens consistently, and the feedback loop is right away. You make a cast, and you know whether it was a good decision by the end of the cast. Yeah, it, 
yeah, I, I just was just going to say like with hunting, it, it takes, it might take a little bit to learn that because getting the feedback or you recognizing that, is that a one-off or is that actually something that's something that to pay attention to? But yeah, I mean, you make the comparison with trail cameras, right? You hang a camera and you can get a lot more information points than you can't sit in a tree stand. And that's what makes the West so challenging. You just don't have access to that same kind of information. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my opinion, that's actually kind of the beauty of it. You know, I live in some places that I could hang cameras and, and could do more scouting. But, like, I love the idea that it's like I got two weeks or ten days or a week or whatever it is. And it's like, this is it. I'm going to make it happen in this window. It's finite. I can be completely occupied with that, not worry about anything else. And in the time leading up to it, assuming I know where I'm going, I don't need to be, it doesn't need to be a year long thing. But when you're in it, you're just like hyper focused and super present. And, uh, you know, the days roll by and the pressure builds and you see what you got. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. You know, it's, it's one of those things like the, the more that, that I get into hunting and doing some of these trips, the more, I have trouble with working and then trying to hunt after work. Cause for me, I'm like a, I'm a person needs to completely get my mind like on the right track. And a buddy of mine always told me, he always be like, I've work mode and hunt mode. He's like, I, I don't, I don't cross, you know, I, if I'm working, I'm working and I'm working hard and that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm doing when I'm hunting, that's what I'm doing. I'm hunting. And I'm like, Oh, I, I can do both. I thought, and you know, and this, this past year was really difficult for me. I'd work, till like four o'clock in the evening and have a couple hours to go out to the tree stand and, and sit. And I just wasn't truly enjoying, I felt rushed. I felt like just not really taking in everything. And, uh, it, it's just, is it was an interesting thing that, um, when you're talking about, you know, just going out for 10 days or two weeks or whatever it is. And that's why I think I've come to love like the elk hunting side of it. I've most of these places I've never stepped foot on my life. I just go there and you figure it out as you're there and you're going and kind of put yourself in that place. But it's funny, you know, um, you're talking about sometimes you like with, with elk hunting, um, this pasture, that, that bull that I shot, it was a, it was super funny because, you know, they say, Oh, if you know elk wins you or whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're done. Like he's gone. Well, these elk came out across this meadow in front of me and, the wind shifted, the cows caught me, and they all took off. And I was like completely like almost in tears. And I'm like, they were running back towards the saddle. I'm like, can I can I get there? I'm like, no, these are elk. They run these mountains all the time. I'm, I'm not going to catch up. So I, I don't even look fast. So they're so fast. Yeah. So I just sat there. I was like, I'm just, maybe they'll come back out, you know, thinking in my head, that'll probably never happen. And literally two minutes later, couple more cows out of the group they came out the exact same trail and they ended up shooting that bull in that spot and it was just weird to me i mean is that more luck than anything probably but it was just i don't know it was just it was a cool i guess experience and process with it and and for me it was just like it, you never know really what what can happen <laughs> what can happen in that scenario yeah and and I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I remember, like, <laughs> I was talking about how important the wind was, and, like, I could just tell that Logan thought it was all bullshit, you know? She's like, this is just a scam by these companies to sell you, like, some scent blocker, you know, whatever. Like, I like I do enough laundry as it is. I don't need to be washing my freaking hunting clothes. I remember one time, on the topic of working mode and, and, and hunting mode, I was actually, we'd hiked up to this high point, and I was on a conference call, 
with Cabela's because I was directing their TV commercials at the time. And so we were like, I was like running them through. I had Logan's phone with my storyboards that I'd drawn and I was like running them through it, you know, trying to block the wind sound and make it sound like, I'm like, oh, I'm just out here gaining authenticity. Don't worry about it, you know? But I'm like, <laughs> you know, just calling all of a sudden a spike bowl because every time we stop, we, you know, before we eat or have a nap or whatever, we cow call and uh, just fall asleep and see what happens kind of thing. But I, the spike bowl came in right to where we were at and the wind was blowing over our shoulder. And I like start whispering on the conference call. <laughs> Everybody's like, what are you doing? And this bull comes into 20 yards and, and hit our scent, man. And it was like, it blew Logan's mind. It, wa- it was like it walked into a glass door and bolted out of there. And that changed everything. Cause yeah, to, you know, if you don't see it, you don't believe it. And even if people tell you, just, she's like, Oh, they really hate that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's not just like, Oh, it's not like I farted and they're like, Oh, it's kind of annoying. I don't really like that smell. I might leave. It's like, no, it's, you know, you, you may as well be screaming in their ear because they, they do not like the way people smell for the most part. But I guess you've got that, that sweet bow odor. Yeah. That lingering scent. Yeah, I think that's what it must be. And uh the the one the one thing that uh um the the one thing they don't like as far as a sound is rappers. They don't like oh, the rappers like a cliff bar or anything like that. Um, my when we were on that elk hunt, my cousin Mason, he had this terrible hike out of camp up the top of the hill. He got up there, he was so tired, he was just getting light, and he sat down next to the tree. I think he cow called, and he opened up a cliff bar. And as he like unwrapped it and had it halfway in his mouth, he looks and there's a spike bull just staring at him, and he's like, "There's nothing he could do at this point." And like tried just like standing still, it it didn't like the didn't like the whole the whole cliff bar um part there but as far as breaking sticks and stuff uh a little bit different story <laughs> yeah i would remember again you know like i learned a lot of this stuff recently and i remember our first season logan and i chased him around she just walked in the middle of a herd and i have no idea it was the most possible <laughs> thing i've ever seen we're like 100 yards from these things in the timber in like kind of some open aspens i was like all right like you know, there's a bunch of cows. He's not coming. I bugled a million times, as I do. I couldn't bugle. I mean, I just couldn't make any more bugles that were different. I'd run through the entire orchestra of bugles I could possibly think of. So I'm like, all right, just walk in there and shoot an elk. Like, good luck. You know? She's like, okay, I got this. So she kind of, like, disappears. And I'm watching through binos. And I'm looking at this cow. And there's a spike bull. And then all of a sudden, there's Logan, like, next to them. And she must have been within, like, four yards of these things, just walking. You know, like, I think, I don't know what it was. She's like, oh, I'm just going to be like, the, walk like the elk and move like the elk. And, of course, the herd bull skirts the whole thing. And she had a few windows, and he was, like, 40 yards. But, uh, yeah, she was, she was probably within 20 yards of, like, eight, ten elk, and they just didn't care. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen <laughs> because she just just walked right in there. Oh, man. He's a he's a good sponsored boy. Having a sip of that crispy bush light. Yep, I had to, yeah, I had to, to move over from the the lucky streak. She texted me and said, "There, do you have any cold beer in the garage? Because there's none left in the fridge here." So she went out to the garage and got me some cold beer because I had my extra stock out there. <laughs> Came prepared. Mm-hmm. Got to be prepared to to podcast, especially like I said with my with my buddy north of the border there. <laughs> um, yeah, we can, honestly. <laughs> but um, 
Uh, so Aaron, we were, you know, we're talking about Logan kind of going into that herd there and everything with what, you know, coming from, you know, you come from Eastern Canada and stuff did, and then, you know, going out there, how would you compare, um, elk hunting to turkey hunting? All right. So this is something I feel pretty strongly about (laughs) objections from people in the West, but like, I love calling turkeys i love calling animals right like i really like fishing and i really like hunting where especially whenever you call an animal like i would rather rattle in an eight point and whack them than like sit in some pinch point for the next three years and shoot a giant like i just love that you know deer comes in grunting or what and like he call a duck in like just the idea that you have an animal and in real time you persuade it to make a decision that is either very bad for it or <laughs> fatal it's like that's so interesting to me because there's just this other level of nuance where you're speaking their language right you're saying something and then they actually are like oh yeah good point and then they just come in it's like <laughs> it's absolute crap so for me i love calling turkeys and i have been frequently accused of calling too much uh which is the same as elk hunting I take a gigantic objection to that, and it's probably the only thing in the world that actually somebody can say that like profoundly offends me because I always just dive into this deep thought of, like, what if I did call too much? I never have. I, I always called it the perfect amount, in my opinion. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, I really think that turkey hunting is such a good lesson because you learn, if not, you know, just how to hunt an animal that gives away its location based on its sound, but you understand how you're going to approach it. Right. Like if you're a guy that likes to set up the decoys and the strut zone and chill in a ground blind, like you're going to go west and you're going to hunt a wallow and you're going to love that because you've done the scouting. And like I cannot fucking relate to that at all, but good power to you. Like a lot of people like that. And generally they kill more shit than I do. Uh, They're more successful, I should say. It's a little more respectful terminology. But for me, the rush is the conversation, the rush is the persuasion. So understanding just even though an elk makes the same bugle sound or a turkey makes the same gobble sound understanding how to interpret that emotion interpret the like point in the season what do they do with hens around versus what do they do without hens what do they do with cows without cows when do they come into a strutter versus when they don't a lot of those things are super parallel between elk and and turkey hunting and i honestly think like if you really if you live in the east and you're like i want to get ready to go elk hunting you know obviously you do your research and read and listen to bo's podcast for tips how to get, how to get winded and still kill stuff which i should probably listen to as well but uh <laughs> other than that take your find a chunk of public land which i know in the i mean depending where you're at like i've done it in kentucky and I always read, like, growing up in Canada, I was like, man, like, public land in the States gets hammered. Like, there's no turkeys there. Like, everybody online to the forums is always like, oh, yeah, I was crawling. Yeah. We go down and we're like, oh, we got we to gotta get past all these keen locals. Well, apparently in Kentucky it's not all that hard because we went, like, a quarter mile up a logging road and then just had the whole freaking kingdom to ourselves. But <laughs> – yeah. and it's such a perfect dry run because it's the same thing. You hear birds – you load up your stuff, you gun after them, you lose them, you, you know, have a break, roost them again, and you move and follow the birds, same way that you move and follow elk. And it's just a great dry run because you can carry a pack up and down a hill a hundred times and get in shape. You can read all the packing lists in the world. 
but there's so many like little things that you forget one on the camping side and then B you just understand how you're going to hunt and, and the way that you like to do it and what motivates you as part of the experience. And if you have all of that beforehand, you're going to be so much better prepared when it comes time to actually go. So I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of, of the like backpack turkey hunt, which nobody really does because you don't have to, but you can do it and you can be successful and it's a really, really excellent way to prepare. I've, I've done, I've done backpack turkey hunts the last few years and I started doing it in preparation for my first elk hunt to learn my gear and see my, what my flaws were and kind of go through all that. And you're hundred percent right. I can drive up and down the road all day and call from my truck and get one to gobble and probably go and kill it easier than me backpacking in. But one, it's fun to be able to do that. I've found places that I can go backpack and camp next to a lake or something, do some fishing in the evening, turkey hunt in the mornings, do some different things like that. And, and yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Like I, I, I can't speak for all the States here, but like Pennsylvania, we have lots of places that you're able to backpack in and do those type of hunts and and you can combine it with fishing and stuff to to be able to do that for turkeys and deer and and yeah most of the appalachian regions like that i know virginia west virginia new york i'm not sure about further northeast i haven't been up that way but (laughs) okay you know i've done it in kentucky it's actually pretty tough where i grew up just because there's only turkeys around agriculture like there aren't really birds just because we're so far north that they just can't hack the winters I kind of hunted furthest northern wild turkeys growing up, so they were they were very tough to kill, which I think is actually good because, thankfully, I was obsessive enough that any kind of success over the any term of time was was a win. So, even though it was super challenging, it just you know it sort of forced me to push myself a lot further than I find myself being pushed when I hunt some other places stateside and and elsewhere. But yeah, it's great, and I mean the thing is right, like you can have all the stuff, but and it takes seasons, but you end up just knowing exactly what to bring in your backpack, exactly how much of it, what you're going to use, what you're not going to use, what you didn't think you'd use, but you should have, you know, like the right amount of Advils for if something goes wrong with your back, then you just need to gut it out for a week. Like I rolled a quad on the way into an elk hunt in Colorado one time and was in for like, I think a week and a bit after that. And like, you know, that was a really good lesson as far as how much amateur pharmaceuticals you need to bring. And the answer is a lot, you know, like that extra tablet of, of Advil is not that heavy, but let me tell you, the, the, well, the liquid gels is the juice. Those like green ones that kind of dissolve if they get wet at all. But those things and like, man, things like that you find out around and, and everybody else has their own list. I'm sure that some people would look at my list and say, Oh, that's heavier. That's they're missing that thing. But like, you understand what it takes for you to be comfortable and confident because there's a big gap between what you need to survive and what you want to have when you're hunting. You can get by with way less, but like when you really think about it, is the two pounds that you save by leaving something behind, like maybe a pillow for your therm rest. You know, sometimes I get chirped for having an inflatable pillow. Oh, you, that's what I had in my mind as you started saying this was a pillow. Yeah, pillow's a great example, right? Or like I bring a sleeping bag liner, which is unnecessary because you have a sleeping bag. Like why do you need a liner? It doesn't really add any warmth. But just like those little things that allow you to sleep better. For me, extra food. I bring an extra mountain house for like every third or fourth day. So like if we have a real grind, I can eat a second dehydrated meal. Sweet. That's a huge win for Logan, ramen every second day. 
you know, if the weather's bad, you you bank on 50% bad weather. If it's a bad weather day, she eats ramen. Like, those are the things that keep you out long. Because it's not just about, like, oh, I can climb this hill that fast. It's like, can you climb it that fast 10 days from now? Or can you, are you even going to be here to climb it 10 days from now? So it's understanding where your pressure points are. For me, weight doesn't really matter that much. Like, I'm built, thankfully, to, like, my build and, and physiology supports carrying heavy loads and long distances. That's great for me. Other people don't have that benefit. But, like, I know that I'm willing to take extra stuff because I don't mind that extra weight so much, but I do mind not having it. And so being, a, like, an ultra lightweight warrior, and it's just not really worth it where, you know, I got one buddy who... Yeah, Will actually from Beyond the Roar, he brings an extra set of base layers that he sleeps in every night because his philosophy is I don't care how cold and wet I get all day, like I'm not going to die and get hypothermia because I'm always moving. As long as I have those base layers to change in. So he keeps a dry bag, like a rubber dry bag, which probably isn't the lightest, with his base layers and his sleeping bag in there. So he knows no matter what happens when it comes to nighttime, he's going to be warm. And he just has a little checkpoint every day. And, like, different people approach that differently. But, like, you, you really need to figure out what your own thing is. Because the last thing you want to do is get the time invested or the preference points or the money or whatever it is, end up in this place, and then, you know, end up realizing that you, you missed something in the preparation phase. You wish you had less of something or more of something else. And that's – whether that's turkeys or whatever else, I just think turkeys are a really great way to do it because it's actually – a super fun way to hunt and they do act similarly especially in regards to like how to handle them with and without hands well it, it's um to go back to the the comfort thing about like carrying stuff the pillow is the one for me that i had even just like a regular like had a climate blow up pillow and that was nice but it was like i had to have some layer like a hood or something in between it because it was loud on my head and i found this sea to summit one that had this like soft like nice little like i, I don't know you own it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Man, it, it might weigh double the amount. It doesn't pack a small. I don't care. Like that, I need that at all times and so comfortable and not to mention like, so there's, there's that. And then there was a couple years I was elk hunting and I was running a floorless shelter and I, they're like, do you want to, you know, I was carrying a stove. I packed a stove up in there for it. And like, it's September. You don't need a stove. I'm like, I don't care. We got a snowstorm the one night and like, five, six inches of snow, I had a stove in there and it made me feel good at the end of the night. I felt comfortable. Like that was the the warm thing. Same thing with having like fires the other night. That's not an object I'm bringing in, but like I've heard, oh, you don't want to have fires. You're going to scare off, you know, the animals, whatever. I don't care. Like every couple of days on an elk hunt, if I can start I a fire. Animals don't like farmers. All the old, old boys when I grew up were like, oh yeah, you light a fire and the deer will come in. And, like, a few of those dudes actually, like, in Ontario would shoot deer because they just light a fire and sit around the fire and the deer get curious or whatever, thought, you know, and they'd shoot deer doing it. I mean, I'm actually a huge advocate for the stove, right? Like, you take a Kifaru, uh, like the titanium wood stove. It's yeah. like one pound, eight ounces. Um, I would rather, like, you know, Matt, my business partner who I do a lot of hunting with, he likes being able to stand up when he gets his clothes on. That's like a big tipping point for him. He also loves hot drinks. So like that dude, <laughs> well, you, he needs like three times more water than everybody else because he wants to have like coffee in the morning. He wants to have like a tea. He wants to have like his, whatever that mountain ops, like 
puts you to sleep. Apparently, oh, the slumber. Work. Yeah. So everybody else gets to slumber, and then I don't get any slumber because they all try and fall asleep before I start snoring. You know, but like if you have more than two people and you're grown ass man, bring a stove. Like what's, you know, it just the mental ability to know that you're going to be able to regain comfort sometime between now and whenever the whole thing is over, because the only other way that it can be over. Oh boy, now I got oysters on the half shell. How do you like that? Wow. Living by the sea. Yeah, that's a that's a whole nother level right there. Logan coming through delivering that. <laughs> My word. <laughs> That's some great shit. Holy fuck. Pardon me. <laughs> it's tasty. So, yeah, I live by the Pacific now, and we uh, we had a slow day of fishing, but apparently someone went and found some oysters, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, that works. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate for the stove and actually the floorless shelter. The only thing I had happen with the floorless shelter that kind of sucked last year is in Montana. Um, and I was hunting on my own. And I had this mouse. Like there was like a, it was like a big mouse here. And uh, the mice were raiding my backpack, chewing through. I take one of those like Kefaru uh, mesh bags that I keep all my snacks in basically. Yep. Then each day out whatever that ration is put it in the top of my lid on my pack and then leave the rest in the bottom and i wake up in the middle of the night and i just hear you know and so i'm like literally playing actual real life whack-a-mole in the dark trying to like smash this this mouse that was in my bag and yeah i had to build like this whole insulation because i'm like man do i put a bunch of stuff around it and protect it or is that stuff just going to get chewed through so do I put nothing around and I had to figure that out, which, cause, but yeah, those floor, the shelters are the bomb, man. <laughs> I, I, I had an experience that the one negative experience I had of floor, the shelter was when on the same trip, I was in Colorado and, and it turned, so we had a real bad rainstorm and I, I just, I just told this story. I did a, a podcast with John Barklow and we talked about this, but I had it rained real hard and, you know, so it built up, well, it, it built up, you know, the, um, moisture on the tent and everything okay and i was soaked going up to it because i decided to drop thousand feet elevation to get water and not take my rain gear because i was just going real quick you know i just didn't take all my stuff came back up anyways i was soaked got in the tent fired up the stove it was good but it created condensation so i had condensation on the top of the tent middle of night winds kicked up like crazy hail started hitting it rained inside the tent i thought the stakes were pulling out of the ground because i didn't know to put rocks on top of the stakes and now i have four msr stakes that screw in i don't care what they weigh it gives me that comfort of knowing my tent isn't going to blow away and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a funny experience. And, and also with the, one of the stoves. So this, um, I, I had a, a seek outside titanium stove and, and on there, like the, I had creosote build up from burning pine, pine branches in the middle of the winter. And I had my damper not wide open. Apparently with that, you have it pretty much wide open to keep it hot and burn all that out of the pipe. Well, in the middle of the night I woke up, I didn't wake up. I did because my brother shook me awake. Him and I were camping together and the whole tent was full of smoke and like rolling out and had that issue. I would have died because I'd sleep through anything. And he said he was up all night, like making sure that the fire was good. And I was sleeping like a log, just breathing in all the smoke and fumes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a concern. 
That's but, the problem. Like with <laughs> snow, that's what I was worried about. Like we took one in ski touring this year and like had it all held down with snow. And I was like, man, this thing's pretty airtight. Not a deal. Yeah, but once you once you learn, it's it's a it was me not having the experience of knowing how to set it up right and learning the stove and all that. You know, that's just something I had to learn. And um, but it's it's I, I've ran the Florida shelters now since I don't know four or five years, and I've liked them. I, I did I did buy a Hilleberg for Alaska this year though. I'm I'm gonna do I, something well, nice. They're absolutely pimping. Yeah. Because the thing is, is like with sheep hunting, when you're above tree line, the floorless thing kind of goes out of the program when you can't peg everything and you don't want to have a high profile and whatever else. But I mean, the reality is, though, like for somebody coming from back east, you only get so many cracks at it, right? Even if it's once a year, like a, a dry run when you still care and you're still invested, like turkey hunting or whatever else, you could do it with whitetails too. I know some boys up home that do that for deer. But like you just want to work the kinks out because you don't want to get that one lesson that you that you have to learn. You don't want that to happen in like a cherished time window. And like for us, you know, we moved to Alberta first season there. Everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, you'll figure it out in a few years, or like, yeah, you'll get one eventually. Archery elk tag in Alberta, five percent success rate that's not like a really super real number because that's just the people that buy the tags you know i don't know how many of those people actually put an effort in five percent for the whole province including a ton of really good private land public land we moved there i killed a herd bull logan killed her first bull ever my dad killed his first elk which is his first archery animal as a 60 year old we went back to back to back on a five percent tag so maybe that's turkey hunting maybe we just got super lucky you know, we have had a lot of people help us over the years and uh, as all, you know, as hopefully everybody does, you know, but we've been really, we've had a lot of people be generous, but man, there's something to it because we certainly shocked a lot of people when that happened and then it happened again and then it happened a third time when it, you know, the, the fluke argument started to get a little bit weaker. So yeah, I, there's something to be said for it for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what was it? Was it a couple years ago that you did the the sheep hunt? Yeah, so I sheep hunted uh, one of my sort of first really big one two years ago and killed. And then last year I hunted again, did that sort of the same hunt. And I also went with a buddy in the Yukon for 10 days um, hunting for doll sheep. So last year both my sheep hunts were with archery and both those would have been dead with a rifle. So it was, it was pretty cool. My buddy in the Yukon missed uh, the doll sheep. I have like a pretty cool over-the-shoulder photo that I think Matthews might have posted recently. Um, which was heartbreaking, man. We were on that ram for like five or six days, and it was pouring rain, like apocalyptic. It the whole mountain, like you know, there will be an avalanche. It was like landsliding because of the rain. So we're this thing's on its own, carved out in this like beautiful little meadow. But this meadow, the only two access points were extremely sketch. And it comes to somebody who. You know, I rock climb and I, you know, downhill ski in the backcountry. Like I'm not a, I, I have some some capacity for gnarly conditions and steep stuff. And I mean, it was absolutely harrowing. It was horrible. And uh, we finally found our window and made the stock. And then poor Terry, it was a steep downhill shot, and he missed it by like an inch under his chest. And and then we went to Alberta, and uh, 
packed in, got up, and then like covered a ton of ground. There were five of us. We split into two groups, and then uh, ended up finding some. We found about a billion ewes, like always, and then finally found the rams. And one of them was like a nine and a half year old legal, and uh, he was a prince. And so the first day we were on him. We were, like, putting them to bed, and then all of a sudden a grizzly bear walked up the valley and blew them way out. Like, they were gone. So the next day, we it was, like, something, like, from where we were on them, I think it would have been, like, 12 miles back to the tent. So we, like, walked back to the tent in the dark, you know, had a meal, got back up, hiked back up to where we were at. So there's nowhere really flat enough to camp. And then, uh, and then got on them again. They were probably three miles away. I actually spotted them through binos which was pretty rad. The, the Zeiss victories are my, my best friend in that environment. And then, uh, made this crazy move to get on them. And they, we, they'd ended up going down in the timber there in like this little Canyon. And so they were going to feed up through this meadow. It was perfect. Wind was good. And they went down, got in position. The wind hit the back of their necks and the sheep didn't know where it came from. So they ended up walking by our guys their shooter down there at 40 yards and he didn't even know they were there he didn't even see him we're just watching the sheep walk broadside past him like waiting for it to die and then he never even picked up his bow are you serious yeah it was crazy <laughs> that was nuts and then they were very once they once they got a hold of the whole program and you know two guys filming and the whole rope they were so gone they uh, yeah over the mountain and far away so hopefully they lived to see another year but yeah um sheep hunting is pretty crazy i was gonna say i that's that's uh one of those bucket list items right at the top for me the to sheep hunt as i'm sure it is for a lot of people but man i i, I want to experience that someday it just seems like the top of the top well it's just so weird right because like sheep themselves if they were to like live in woodlots or wherever you hunt other animals like a whitetail is significantly more wary or more smart or whatever than a sheep but like you're three days in by the time you get to where they're at and then you know you normally go into the bush and you got you can really only carry like 10 12 days food so you go in make the push you get up there and then you're on that short window and then if it rains you're hosed if it's foggy you're hosed you know, so you, every moment of openness, you're just glassing, glassing, glassing. And then the next thing, it's one thing to find them, but then actually closing the distance, they could be not even a mile away, but they're on a whole different mountain range. So by the time you drop down, climb back up and make it happen. Like when I killed mine, we actually climbed over the top of a mountain to get to it. Like we were in a down, like we were kind of on a bench in the trees and he was across the valley but like the only clear way to get to him without blowing out all the sheep in the valley was to go actually over the summit of a mountain. It was like waist deep snow. And then we like dropped down this alley path and I, and I was lucky enough to shoot him. But like just the access is, is so crazy. I mean, I've never killed one with a bow. I've never been on a hunt where we've killed one with a bow, but that is, that is some serious shit, man. The guys that are getting that done. Yeah, I would say that's, that's insane. That's, um, they like said, that's it. Um, my, my first step to even like kind of, doing different uh different hunts out of the lower 48 well is is going to alaska this year i'm hunting caribou which isn't like the in the no. mountains or anything like a sheep hunt is but that's a whole nother aspect of being dropped off in a plane 
I've never done anything like that. I've always been able to walk back to my vehicle at some point if you needed to. So it's a whole nother adventure aspect to it. A whole different program whenever you're you're at the end. Like, man, where we she went to Yukon last year, we were so far. You're like, you know, I don't even know if they'd send a chopper. You press the button on your in reach, they might just be like, ha, LOL, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, it will pick you up when it's time to get cremated. Like I don't know, I, it's it's a pretty special feeling, man. There are very few places on earth where you really have that distance, and when the plane rolls away, it's that's like a classic, you know, classic kind of cliche. But man, when they when you you hear the roar of the bush plane disappear, it's it, there's just like this whole level of quiet, like kind of spooky quiet that comes over you. And you know, there are people that absolutely thrive in that environment, and and you know, frankly, like for me. It's happened a handful of times over my life, and every time it gets easier. But like, it's it's pretty wild knowing that there's an accountability that's not just you know nobody's coming to help. Yeah. So, so it's pretty cool. That's cool. You're doing a caribou hunt though. I actually, I was lucky enough to the year before they closed the Quebec hunt, I went up there and did a artist with outdoor life. Nah, I mean, with my bow, but yeah, I would love to. Nobody talks about it, but I would love to do a caribou slam because they're such crazy animals, right? Like, people just picture them like pulling Santa around or you know, eating like <laughs> we're up in, when we were sheep hunting the Yukon this year. Like, I was glassing the skyline, and this, these are like legitimate ultra steep mountains that you like couldn't really think about how you would walk to the top, right? That's kind of it's you just you don't know how you get up there and there was like three caribou one was bedded and then two of them were like standing facing each other just for hours on the top of these mountains and you're telling like that same animal there's you know the ones in quebec are just running across the tundra and then a newfoundland they're in the bush and like i don't know they're they're really fascinating and they're so fun to hunt because especially bow hunt because with the antlers you know you can they're great to stalk because they have like a giant flagpole off the top of their head that announces where they are. And, and it's funny, right? Like I, I shot a great six by seven bull elk. I shot like 180 plus inch moose. So it would have been like 58 inches across, like big animals. I not giants, but like they're big. When people walk into my house where I grew up, where my taxidermy is, everybody asks about the caribou so like just be prepared that whatever your most prized piece of taxidermy or headgear is because like man those things the the antler to body ratio on like a truly big one is just mind-numbing you know like that's why they always give people two tags in some places because they're like hey the first one you're just gonna shoot the first one because you're like that's got to be a world record and then you'll (laughs) shoot a few others and then be like okay this is you know this is what a big one actually looks like yeah yeah it's super fun you're gonna love it. i actually am planning on doing that one of these years and i kind of called it off for this year because of the sort of viral concerns but i guess uh, i should probably make sure that i have a plan in place if i, if I can go yeah i i'm yeah i'm going in late august so as long as everything's still good or is good by then to be able to go. That's the plan. And I'm taking my bow and then a buddy of mine's taking his gun. So most likely I'll grab his gun and shoot it. But, um, Man, um you can, you can close those things. They like, I guess it depends where they're at, but it's, it's pretty cool. I, I did watch, I did watch some videos the other day. Um, 
of some people doing it with with a bow and stocking in and they went in the august time frame where it's not like hardcore migration which is the time i'm going is like you got some little bit home-bodied caribou and they're stocking like you said it looks like flagpoles sticking up and they were you know sneaking up on them and then the one like the, i was watching the one the caribou would see them and they'd just stop moving and they'd start walking they just walk right at them kind of in the open tundra it was it was it was weird well, i held my bow on my head i was like oh my bow's kind of shaped like antlers <laughs> and like you know, mine was absolutely spooked. I had, I kind of, we we put like three stocks on him before we, got, we killed him. But uh, the um, the the curiosity thing is real, though. Like they will, if they if you sort of make a little bit of movement and stay still, there's a decent chance they'll come, just come up and check and see what you are. Just, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're super fun hunt. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. So, do you have anything anything planned for this year um, that's like you're super excited about? Yeah, so we moved to British Columbia because in Canada you can't like hunt out of state. You know, it's it's you have to either be hosted by somebody that lives there, but that only works for a number of species. So, with the enthrallment with sheep hunting, that's kind of taken over. BC has stone sheep, and really nowhere else does. So uh, we actually moved, or we got out of our old house. We did the whole move thing. We lived here. We've been here for almost a year by the time hunting season starts, and residency requirement is six months. So, uh, yeah, we actually I somehow talked Logan moving provinces. And, uh, yeah, so we will be hunting stone sheep and mountain goats primarily. And then if, uh, you know, the BC's, you know, there's 13 different species of big game to hunt. But, it's going to be difficult staying focused on just two of them, but those are the ones that we really need to, to do while we're here, focused on the stone sheep. And hopefully we can get Logan one with the gun. Uh, and then if, that, if we're successful with that, I'll probably just grind it out with the bow until the bell tolls. And uh, I will most likely be unsuccessful, but ideally we get one between us to to as a – souvenir of our great british columbia adventure so i'm just really excited for that man this part of the world is so gorgeous it's it's so beautiful and so wild and uh yeah it's a new challenge i mean i i just like new things and and learning about new species and hunting new areas and there's something to be said for going back to a spot you know well but that won't be it this year so i've i've pretty much canceled everything out of province um you know, except for Kansas whitetails, we'll go down there in November once everything's frozen up down here, and then we'll do some good, fun waterfowl hunting. But yeah, the priority through our normal big game window, where we're trying to jam all over the place, we're just going to be up north and in, in BC trying to get it done, and and then uh, make up for it with twice as much elk hunting next year, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's funny. Well, cool. That I, I'm pretty jealous that. Uh, the opportunities that you're doing sheep hunting and stuff there. It looks like maybe I'm going to have to become a, a resident of British Columbia for six months before Move the season. You could do it there. Could do it there too. Yeah. I, I ran into a guy. I, I met him. I was up in Alaska and I was hiking this ski resort with my brother and met him. This guy was trail running up the course and and we've become friends and see him on instagram and stuff now and he's a resident of alaska and he shoots a sheep like every year and it's like that's that's awesome 
it was so crazy when I was up in the Yukon this year. They were like, yeah, I'm just really going to miss sheep meat this year. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I mean, had a kid. I was only able to hunt a couple of days and passed on the young one. And, like, they actually treat sheep as, like, a – it's like filling the freezer with a whitetail. Because, like, if you know what you're doing, and doll sheep are white, and, you know, like, those guys pull it off consistently. <laughs> and I'm like, you crazy bastards. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way there's enough calories in a sheep to offset the number of calories that are going to get one killed, but they seem to think differently. So That's funny. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, that you know, I never thought when I was in Ontario that I would ever, you know, hunt out west to start with. And then once you understand the opportunities that are there as a non-resident, then you start to understand the opportunities that aren't there. <laughs> You're like, well, how do I become a resident? And, and that's kind of the path that we're on. So, yeah, I mean, I – obviously love it and, and thankfully have a fiance that that loves it too and is open to a absolutely irrational adventure of a year of our life in a different place but here we are <laughs> that's awesome man that's uh that's the epitome of ad- adventure there and kind of living the lifestyle that you do that's that's cool so yeah, we'll see how it goes i don't know I'm, I'm i'm already pretty nervous but we'll see yes yeah stressing yourself out over it I talked about it on a podcast. Now I really got to kill one. <laughs> yep. Yes. Especially when that's, yeah, we're going to have to, we'll get you back on once you kill the, once you kill the stone sheep, you and Logan, and then we'll talk again. I mean, that's just what it is. That's how the way she goes. <laughs> but anyways, Aaron, well, I think, uh, I think we're going to end this one here. Not that I don't want to look at your pretty face any longer and talk some more, but I need to eat some dinner tonight and it's, it's late here. Yeah, I'm sweating profusely. Um, I don't know if it's just thinking about all the exercise that I do in some parts of the year that I'm not doing right now or what, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty toasty. So <laughs> uh, you have yourself a nice lean salad and a nice lean piece of meat, Mr. Heather's Choice. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, go plow some more oysters and call her good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, Aaron, before you, before you take off there and, and make, I don't want you to start taking off your shirt here, but, uh, where can people find some more information on you and, and some of the, the work that you've done that we talked about here? Yeah. So I, the cool thing about, you know, what I do is it's just, it's really truly a team effort. And whenever you see from rock, very far from an Aaron Hitchens thing, we, we have a, a number of people behind us. So for me, uh, I'm Aaron Hitchens on Instagram and the rest of them that's Hitchens, which is H I T C H I N S because everybody puts E N S and that bothers me. I'm, I'm very sensitive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's that. Our company's called rock house motion. Uh, that's rock house for all you Southern people. Uh, and then we have Matt white, which is Matt white rock house on Instagram, Dustin underscore rock house. On Instagram, we have Colin Photogram, C. Lucas Clark, Nauto Aoki Photography, and uh, William doesn't do social media. He just goes surfing and makes the dopest shit possible. So you won't find him on there. But, yeah, check out uh, check out the Rock House Motion page, and you should be able to track us down from there. And uh, if you want to look at films, Vimeo is probably your best bet. So just Rock House Motion Vimeo or Beyond the Roar, Student of the Wild, anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys think. You know, one of the things that's interesting about making films, right, is you do stuff and, and you don't really know how people take it. You get the viewership numbers and a couple likes here and there. But if uh, if you have any feedback one way or another, we'd, we'd always love to hear it. So feel free to reach out if uh, 
if you guys are curious or you want to talk shit or whatever it is, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I really enjoyed this, Aaron, and uh, it was good talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Go West. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.